Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program today and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us and we hope you are tuning in every week. We know that we are new to many of these uh, networks that you're now seeing us on, but we have been on for five or six years on other networks. But thank you for joining us and please tell your friends about us. Also, I just want to just let you know that if you missed any of the programs that we have aired, uh, you can go uh, on several ways to, to get them, but one of the easiest things to do is go to YouTube. If you go to YouTube, you can get it on Roku, you can get it on your smart TV, you can get it on your mobile device. But if you go to YouTube and you punch in that you might have life, or my name, Lynn Hiles, L-Y-N-N-H-I-L-E-S, it will bring up all kinds of video. But that you might have life is our channel. Subscribe to that and uh, you, that you will be notified every time there's a new program up that we air every week. Also, you can go to iTunes and sign up for our podcast, and it will be delivered directly to your smart device. And then our website also has an RSS feed for your Android device, so you can get the audio portions of it sent directly to you. Uh, also, uh, on Roku, you can get many of the channels that we are on by simply downloading that channel to your Roku, and uh, you can watch us anywhere that you can get internet you can see us in several different time slots. We are on several different channels on several different days of the week. So tune in, find us, or go to my website, and we will have a listing of the channels that we are on that we know of. And then you can kind of access those things. We deeply, gratefully appreciate you taking the time to join us. We are a New Covenant-based, grace-based, kingdom-based ministry. Our, our main focus is Jesus and His finished work, the gospel of grace. We also preach uh, with that that the gospel of the kingdom is a very present reality and that the grace of God and the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness is what causes us to reign in life. So it is grace that becomes, grace and faith that becomes the currency of the kingdom. Over the last several weeks we've been dealing with Psalm 149 and we're going to go back there again today because everything about this that the psalmist is declaring has a powerful, I believe, prophetic overtone. It's really pointing to everything about the New Covenant. And let me just read it, and we'll go back and reiterate a few things and try to finish this segment. We've taught about six programs. This will be the sixth one on Psalm 149. Uh, actually, you can also order a series that we did called Execute the Will that has this series that we taught in a preaching venue. But it says in verse 1, Psalm 149, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation of saints. And we shared with you how that the new song is the new song of the new covenant because Revelation 5 says, And they sang as it were a new song, saying, Thou hast redeemed us. There was a lamb who had taken a little book, and they're singing the song of the redemption of the lamb. And what we did in that first series is we showed you how that in the new covenant and the new song, that all of the stuff that God was talking about becoming new, Isaiah prophesied God is about to do a new thing, that that new thing was the new covenant. We talked about His mercies are new every morning. New that's new covenant truth. We talked about how uh, there is a uh, new heart and a new spirit that He'll put within us. Then we talked about how uh, 
Uh, there are new tongues. There's a new covenant. There's a new man. There's a new name. There's a new song. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And last but not least, he says in Revelation 21, Behold, I make all things new. Then we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So he sets the stage by talking about the new thing and the new song. And I believe that God is speaking to leaders everywhere. It's time to put a new song on our lips. Not a mixture of Old Covenant and New Covenant, but a new song that flows from a revelation of a slain lamb that says, Thou hast redeemed us. There's a lot of stuff that people are preaching that's coming that's not in our future. It's in our past because we've been redeemed from it. And then in verse 2 we begin to develop how He said, Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. And we shared how that Zion in Hebrews 12, in contrast to Sinai, that in, in Hebrews 12 it said, For you did not come to blackness and darkness, you didn't come to fear and trembling, you did not come to a God who says, If you touch the edge of the mountain, you'll be thrust through with the dark. That was Mount Sinai. He said, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. So Zion in contrast to Sinai is, Sinai is where the law was given, it's Old Covenant. Zion on the other hand is the New Covenant. In Revelation 14 they follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and the Lamb went to Mount Zion. I saw a Lamb on Mount Zion. And so uh, there's that, that's that, Zion is not just a place in the Middle East, it is the spiritual place of the New Covenant, like Sinai was the symbol of the Old Covenant. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. And so we've not come to fear and trembling, we've not come to blackness and darkness, we've not come to Sinai, but we have come to Mount Zion, and we have come, we're not marching to Zion, we're already in Zion. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads, because part of the revelation of this new covenant is that it produces joyfulness in our King as we begin to sing the high praises that's in our mouth. Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises unto Him with the temporal and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. And one of our last segments we talked about where Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. And what we talked about there is that the meek doesn't mean you know, we go with our head hung down, and I'm worthless, and I'm weak, and I'm feeble, but it simply means that uh, you've come to the place of meekness where you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God. And when you humble yourself, God gives more grace to the humble. And what He, I, what he simply is saying by that is, is that when we humble ourselves, we're saying, I can't do this on my own. It's not by my strength. It's not by my power. It's not by my might. I am going to humble myself, and the meek will inherit the earth. Then it goes on, and these are the, the two things that I want to get this, t this time. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute the vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people, to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all of His saints. Now in the last segment we talked about this honor have all of His saints. The honor is to execute the will. And I talked about the last will and testament. And I talked about how judgment is not always a negative thing, but it means you won a judicial ruling. 
Something was won 2,000 years ago, and a judicial decision was made. But whenever I first started preaching this from this viewpoint, my attorney came to me and said, Lynn, uh, judgment is not always a bad thing. He said, judgment simply means if you are the defendant and the gavel drops and the judge says that the judgment is in favor of the defendant, that's a good thing. Especially if you want a big lawsuit. Because he says, then he said to me, do you know what it means if you won, uh, if the, the judgment was in your favor? I said, explain it to me. He said, it means absolutely nothing if you don't execute the judgment that was won there at that judicial decision. I believe that's where we're at in the American church is executing the judicial decision that was made at Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago that what Jesus has freely provided by grace, we must access by faith. Now, faith to me is not a work of the flesh. It is a response to hearing the gospel because it's not either or, but it is both of them held in a careful tension. It is by grace through faith. But what I want to point out at this particular segment is let the high praises of God be in their mouth, a two-edged sword in their hand, and also to let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. And the first thing that hit me when I thought about let them sing aloud upon their beds was the posture of rest. Because from what he's saying is when you understand this new covenant, man, it's going to jerk a praise up out of you. I, I, I got to tell you, man, I ride down the road and, man, almost a sneaking grin comes on my face because I think this is too good to be true. But if it's too good to be true, it's probably the gospel. <laughs> I love that. But I'm going to tell you, man, I, I, when I think about how good and the goodness of God is, and when you really see this gospel of grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ, it's going to jerk a praise up out of you. No wonder every creature in heaven and in earth begin to sing it in Revelation 5, they begin to sing, Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and power and might and dominion because you've taken to yourself great power and you've reigned. In other words, there's a song that comes from the posture of rest. Now, when I think about rest, I'm not thinking about becoming a spiritual caspitator because you don't get people to rest by preaching rest. You get them to rest by showing them how the work got finished. Now, when you see how Jesus did the work, in other words, when you preach the finished work and you preach things, for instance, like you preach stuff like, uh, you know, he was delivered for your offenses. That he didn't just die for you, but he died as you. It takes the whole slate, the whole labor and sweat out of you trying to kill your old man. The truth of it is you were crucified with Christ 2,000 years ago. Somebody said, well, what are you going to do with the scripture that says, I die daily. Well, I'm going to quote it in context because most of the time we quote it out of context because Paul was not talking about killing his old man daily. He was talking about in that context he was saying to them, if after the matter of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus. He was talking about physically hazarding his life every day that he every day was living on the verge of the possibility of losing his life for the gospel's sake. He wasn't talking about killing his old man. He was talking about he faced death literally every day. Somebody said, well, what about where he talked about in Matthew, take up your cross and follow him? Well, if you look at the context of that, he, he's talking in the context of that, and he's saying to them, listen, man, they're going to... Uh, Father's going to be against mother. Mother's going to be against father. They're going to deliver you up to be killed. And what he's talking about in that context is there's these that were moving away from this old covenant paradigm. And he's saying they're going to 
uh, man, you're, you're going to be sold out by your fathers and your mothers, your children, your brothers, your sisters. And that all occurred within that first century. But what he's saying there is, if you will deny yourself the desire to go back under that old covenant paradigm and take up his cross, in other words, you're identifying with his death and you're saying, listen, man, I have become dead to the law by the body of Christ. One of the things you're dead to, Romans 7, is you become dead to the law by the body of Christ. And when you realize the work has been finished, you enter into this rest where a song begins to flow out of you. Now let me say this to you. The posture of rest does not necessarily mean also that you become a spiritual couch potato. It means that I, it means that I used to have this as an intro on my TV program when we first came on. I used to put it like this. If you rest, God will work. And if you work, God will rest. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather rest and let God do the work. And when God does the work, man, the work gets done. Let me, let me get you this. The, the, this scripture really jumped at me the other day uh, when I was reading it. And I put it in my notes and I haven't used it anywhere yet. But Mark 4, and I'm going to read to you from the Message Bible, but Mark chapter 4, I think, let's see, down around somewhere near verse 27. Uh, what, uh, let's see, verse number 26. It says, Then, then Jesus said, this is Mark 4, 26 in the Message Bible. Then Jesus said, God's kingdom is like seed sowed thrown, is like seed thrown on a field by a man. Watch this. Who then goes to bed and forgets about it. Man, that's so ministered to me. <laughs> he said, the kingdom of God, God's kingdom is like seeds thrown on a field by a man who then goes to bed and forgets about it. In other words, the kingdom is you sow the seed of the kingdom, and then you go to bed. You climb up in the bed. Psalm 149, let the saints sing aloud upon their bed. Now watch what he says about it. He said he goes to bed and forgets about it. The seed sprouts and grows. He has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all without his help. First a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain. When the grain is fully formed, he reaps harvest time. How can we picture God's kingdom? What kind of a story can we use? It's like a pine nut. When it lands on the ground, it is quite small as seeds go. Yet once it's planted, it grows into a huge pine tree with thick branches, eagles nest in it. And with many stories like these, he presented his message to them, fitting the stories to their experience and maturity. He was never without a story when he spoke. When he was alone with his disciples, he went over everything sorting out the tangles and untying the knots. In other words, the kingdom is when you realize that the seed of the kingdom, God's kingdom, has been sown into your heart, and then you simply rest in the power of the seed to produce. See, I'm convinced that once you get born from above, you're going to be able to enter into a rest, and you're going to see effortless change begin to take place in your life. Hallelujah. Because what you're going to do is you're going to see that the seed of the kingdom was sown, and you can rest in that the, the seed is going to become a great tree. Let me, let me come over into um, the Hebrews 4 because I want to tie this together also with this two-edged sword. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read this from, uh, the, from the King James Version. But it said, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. Again, we're talking about the bed. And the bed is speaking of his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, that's another issue where we need to understand that faith is powerfully important in this issue. For we which have believed, 
do enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. See, even though the work is finished, we preach a finished work message. There, there, there has to be a rest that you enter to. In, in other words, I'm not believing because I think God is going to do something. I'm believing because I know God has already done something, and I know that if I'll enter into rest, that God is going to do the work that's going to bring about the fruitfulness of the seed that was planted. I hope you're hearing my heart here this, uh, today. Uh, although, the, the fin the, although the work was finished, they still did not enter into that rest respect a certain place on the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all of His works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter, in, in, enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, He limits a certain day, saying in David today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, this is literally Joshua, had given them rest, then would He not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore rest for the people of God. For He that is entered into His rest, He also has ceased from His own works as God did from His. Let us, therefore, let us labor therefore to enter into rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And let me say before I pass this scripture, it looks like an oxymoron. He said, let us labor and enter to rest. Now, I used to think, well, that means if you get the work done, then you can rest. But what he's saying here is that the, uh, when, they, when Jesus was asked, I believe it is in John chapter 6, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus simply told them, here's what you must do to work the works of God is to believe on Him whom the Father has sent. So the only work of the new covenant is that you believe. Everything else flows out of what you believe. In other words, if you believe you're righteous, you're going to live like you're righteous. The just will live by faith. So everything flows out of what we believe and out of the rest of this thing being done. Let us therefore labor, He said, to enter into that rest. For the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Seeing then we have a high priest, a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So in this text, we're going to be able to conclude all of our remarks uh, out of Psalm 149, because here's the last two things I want to share with you. Let the saints be, be joyful upon their beds. So from the posture of rest, from the posture of rest, everything flows to execute the will of this new covenant. But then he says, let, then he goes on to say in Psalm 142, not only let them be joyful upon their beds, but let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The two-edged sword is found also in the same text where we're dealing rest from. This sharp two-edged sword is the same sword that you see in the mouth of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. There's a sharp two-edged sword. Now this sharp two-edged sword is the Word of God. But it's specifically, it's a specific word because the context here in Hebrews 4 is rest. So what he's saying is the Word of God is quick. That doesn't mean it's fast, it means it's life-giving. That's an old English word, that means it's life-giving. It's powerful and it's sharp. 
But what's the context? The context is rest. So what he's saying here is the word that flows from rest is life-giving and it's powerful because it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart and every creature is made manifest in his sight. And I begin to hear the Lord say this to me because I, let, me just, let me just talk from my heart a little bit more here. Early in the days of, of preaching the grace message, man, I started seeing people almost, man, they're, they, they take, they're not hearing the full message. They're hearing what you're free from, but not what you've been gripped by. You're free from law, but you've also been gripped by grace. So they got free from legalism, but they didn't get gripped by the life of Jesus. And so I started seeing people, man, messing their lives up. And I said, Lord, there seems to be a lot of sin in the grace camp, you know, and the temptation to go back and preach a mixture began to enter my mind. And the Lord said to me, do you think there's more sin in the grace camp than there is the legalistic camp? And I said, Lord, there seems to be. He said, no, it's just that they don't have to hide it anymore. Now they can get some real help. But in legalism, they got the same problems we have in the grace camp, except when they sin and somebody falls into iniquity, uh, they just, you know, they cover that up. But when, we, when something in the grace camp happens, they say, see, that's what happens when you preach that greasy grace message. Ain't nothing greasy about grace. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. It's the power of God to work in our lives. But I said, Lord, uh, you know, it seems to me like, you know, the, that there's a lot of sin in the grace camp. He said, well, your, your daughter-in-law's a doctor, and she, and she uh, Lynn, I said, yes, Lord. My daughter-in-law's a medical doctor. And he said, she's a good doctor. I said, yes, Lord. He said, her office is full of sick people. I said, yes, Lord. He said, that's how my house ought to be. So when you see all this stuff happening, uh, you know, those that are whole don't need a physician. He said, the Word is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And I said, Lord, what are you talking about? And he said to me, he said, listen, when you preach the Word that flows from grace, and you preach the Word that flows from rest, and you preach freedom from the law, what's really in people's hearts begins to emerge. And I started seeing stuff emerge out of people's hearts that I didn't know was in there. I started seeing stuff in my own heart that I didn't know was there. And the Lord said to me, the gospel that flows from rest is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart, and it will leave you naked and open before the eyes of Him of whom we have to do. That's not a bad thing. Stay with me just a moment. But as I begin to see this, what happened was, that, in other words, I said to, some, uh, to a group I was preaching, I said, listen, if you were free to do anything you wanted to, what would you do? I said, just take the thought. And so the moment I said that, I, it's, I, you know, I can't tell you what other people thought, but in my mind I couldn't think of anything that I would do other than serve the Lord now. But, uh, but uh, let me just say this. But, but what happens is whatever you thought of right there when I said that is what's really in your heart. Now listen to me closely. I'm not telling you to act on that. I am telling you, just like it is not against the law in the state of West Virginia to kiss a rattlesnake, that it's not against the law. If you want to kiss a rattlesnake, you can kiss a rattlesnake. It is lawful, but it's not expedient. So if you kiss a rattlesnake, you're going to suffer the repercussions of what a rattlesnake venom is going to do to you. Just like if you sin, you are going to suffer the repercussions of your actions. Not because God is judging you, not because God is mad, but because it's lawful but not expedient. Now stay with me for a moment. What I begin to see happen as the Lord said to me, stay the course, son, because the Word is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's revealing hearts. So preach the Word that flows from rest. 
lay, lay on your bed and sing aloud and let the sharp two-edged sword discern between thought and intent because it reveals the heart. But once the heart has been revealed, and you realize there's some things in my heart that I don't like, that I want to see God change, then he says, listen, man, here's the next step. You can come boldly to a throne of grace because you've got a faithful high priest who's been touched with the feeling of your infirmity. He was tested in every area like as you are, yet without sin, so that when you come to Him, He can have compassion on what you're struggling with. Jesus knows your struggle. And what you have to do is you have to come in this atmosphere and say to Him, listen, I'm coming boldly, not to a throne of judgment, to a throne of grace. And what you're going to find is you're going to find mercy, mercy that are new every morning, and a grace that will help you to overcome in these areas. I could use a story about one of my sons years ago when he was just a young boy. When we would correct him, we'd, we'd, use, we'd tell him why we correct him in the Scripture and what the Scripture says. One day, G, Jeremy, my oldest son, you'll see him on the program sooner or later, but he come up to, from my office and he says, Dad, he had my belt, and he was dragging my belt behind him. He said, Dad, I want you to take this belt and drive the foolishness out of my heart because at times when we'd correct him, we'd say, Foolishness is in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from me. So he's dragging my belt, and he said, Dad, I want you to take this belt and drive the foolishness out of my heart. And he said, you know that drawer? You, I said, well, what happened, son? He said, well, you know that drawer you told me not to get into in your office? I said, yes, son. He said, I got in it, Dad. It's on the floor down in your office, so take this belt and drive the foolishness out of my heart. And he was just weeping and crying. And I looked at him. I said, son, listen, man, I don't want to whoop you. I said, what you've done is you've come boldly to a throne of grace, and what you're going to get is mercy, because you've already learned what you need to learn. You're going to find grace, and you're going to find mercy and a grace to help in the time of need. And that to me is such a powerful picture, because what happens is, is that there's stuff that grace is going to reveal in the hearts of people. Make no mistake about it, real change will transpire when you let God do the work, because when you rest, God will work, and when you work, God will rest. But see, the executing of the judgment written and this new song, and these mercies that are new every morning, and all the stuff that belongs to this psalm is to be so powerfully speaking of the new covenant. But let the sword do the work in your life. Let it reveal your heart. But when it does reveal to your heart, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to find that Jesus is not condemning. He's not judgmental. But He's standing there having been touched with the same temptations that you've been touched with, yet without sin. And if you're struggling today, you can come boldly. And you're not going to come to a throne of judgment. You're not going to see, receive punishment. You're going to receive mercy. And you're going to find a grace that will help you because you have a high, preach who, high priest who is able to secure you in this time of struggle and this time of need. Reach out to Him because when you rest again, you can simply receive the seed of the kingdom and then go to bed and watch the seed do the work. I think that's powerful. We're running out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. If you can help us take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of His grace around the world, we're deeply grateful for that. If you would sow a seed into the ministry, it, if you'd like to become a partner, call that number on the screen or go to our website and uh, you can give via credit card on the website or you can call the number uh, on the phone. If you get the phones and there's not an answer, please leave a message if you'd like somebody to call you back and we will return your call and uh, help you with whatever we can. God bless you. Thanks for joining in. Tell your friends about us. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. 
Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.